0: Welcome to HubSpot's Unconventional Business Podcast. I'm your host, James Gilbert. The best companies are the ones that make it incredibly easy and delightful to do business with. It's seamless, frictionless, intuitive. It's not just a better experience. They're actually disrupting our very notion of what consumers should be able to expect from companies. You see, Aussies and Kiwis are a hard bunch to please. We have some of the highest expectations in the world. And luckily for us, our homegrown businesses know this. This season on HubSpot's Unconventional Business, you'll be meeting some of our best homegrown brands as they share how they're growing and winning by disrupting the customer experience. Let's meet today's guest. As a nation, we're one of the biggest meat-eating countries in the world, and demand supply is becoming a very real issue. If we keep eating meat at the rate we do today, we're not going to be able to sustain it. Creating an alternative is all well and good, but as a brand, how do you change the hearts and minds of Aussie meat eaters? What does the future of this alternative meat look like? How much will brands matter in this category? To join us to help answer these questions, we've got Andrew May, V2's Head of Growth. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So for people in the audience who don't know about uh, V2 Foods yet, how would you describe the company?
1: Okay, so uh, V2 Food is a interesting startup uh, that started uh, last year, so it's January 2019, uh, to make plant-based meat so the premise of the company is that the rate that we currently consume meat is not sustainable for the long term so if we fast forward to 2050 and we forecast to have 10 billion people on the planet if we all ate meat in the same sort of trajectory there would simply wouldn't be enough cows on the planet we would have need a whole second planet worth of worth of animals to uh to feed the way we eat meat so knowing that we you know that most humans love the taste of animal meat the, we can't create more, so how do we find a different way to create that meat? And we, we found it using uh, CSIRO technology to create it from plants. And so our, our mission is to li- deliver great-tasting um, plant-based meat at the same price as animal meat that you can switch across and mm-hmm. um, have
0: either or. I think this like alternative meat category, uh, I am super interested about it. I uh, read a lot about Beyond Meat last year, like every other uh, person well, not every other person, but a lot of people in the world. And I was like, oh, wow, this is fascinating. And I think you outlined some of why it's fascinating in that, like, there's just a pure demand supply problem here. But then there's, there's so many downstream effects from the meat production industry as it exists now that are, like, pretty negative on the world, really. Like, you hear about lab-grown meat as well. Like, what's the difference between those two? There's
1: a couple of things there in 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 terms of that like um new farming um sort of ways. So if you go back a few thousand years, animals were roaming the world, but the planet could keep up, right? So they the mm-hmm. access to grasslands and water was all natural. Whereas when you concentrate populations into cities and um overpopulate in certain areas, you have to bring in resources. So that's that's the first problem there is that if you have nice grass-fed cattle that are, you know, roaming and um, refertilizing the soils, then that's actually quite sustainable if you do it in the right way, regenerative farming and the likes. If you say, well, actually we need you know, 10,000 more percent of that animal, then you have to start growing soy to feed those cattles, bringing in water, trucking stuff across, across the way on top of emissions. So that's, that's the first part of it. Um, and yeah, you, you, know, you might feed a, a grain-fed cattle 10 kilograms of grain to get one kilogram of beef. Um, if you're mm-hmm. talking about plant-based, you can do it one for one. So the difference between them, plant-based meats and lab-grown meats is um, plant-based meats is basically taking uh, ingredients that are found in non-animal sources. So whether that's uh, the protein from soy, fat from coconut, um, sunflower oil, beetroot juice to get the color, that kind of stuff, and combining them to create a imitation or a, a product that has the same taste nutritional values and cooking as animal meats lab grown is um you know more along the lines of uh taking the original cells from an animal and then propagating them so growing them in a uh, vat like thing so if you you think of the early technology where this existed was um, skin grafting for burns victims where they took skin cells and started to grow bigger things Um, you know that might cost a few thousand dollars to uh, put a skin graft but for the moment for meats it's it's super expensive, so I don't think I, I can envision myself going down to the pub and buying a $1,000 um, lab-grown meat burger, but in the future, it's highly possible that we will grow these kinds of things in, in vats, but they're just not commercially there yet, and then you also have to get yep. a, above the fact that this is something that came from a living animal but has been regrown, yep. you know, 100 times, and it's, and it's lab food, which I think if we have this conversation in 40 years' time, we'd be like, I can't believe we never did this, um yeah. you know, why, why did it take so long to get to that stage? But for now, we think about, you know, the, the frankenfood and the science that goes behind it, which, you know, is because it's unfamiliar to us, it's scary. So, um, But there's some incredible yep. progress being made in both plant-based and, and lab-grown um, or cultured meat as they otherwise refer to it.
0: Like I agree that people would find it weird and it's interesting. I, I think that's actually existed where – in alternative meats. Like if I think about if I had been at a barbecue with some friends 10 years ago and tried to put some veggie, veggie burgers on the barbecue, I would have been uh, quickly sitting by myself. But now I think I could get away with it. If I, if I threw, um, you know, some plant-based meat burgers on the, on the barbecue, people would actually be more interested about it. And I think there'd be a lot of people that, for one of the multiple reasons why you might uh, choose plant-based mood, food, you there's a pretty broad set of people where they're like, some people really buy into the hum, humane argument, some people buy into the impact on the environment, and then others are just purely curious on on it overall. But how do you think plant-based and uh, lab-grown in the future will? will uh, exist together will it be the fact will it be something like hamburgers will tend to be plant-based because you could I, i imagine in 20 30 years it'll be pretty fascinating to see how it can be engineered from a taste and health perspective and who knows like it might actually be super healthy and taste even better than before and then maybe if you're having a steak like that would be a more delicacy type food and maybe you'd be happy to pay a bit more of a premium and lab grown is that how you'd see it them uh coexisting or how do you think about that
1: yeah it's um i mean if we had a crystal ball, it's, it's probably not far from you know what i would imagine to be seeing um I, mm-hmm. I think that demand supply things that is the first thing so um you know if we go back to our grandparents era meat was a luxury item because it was scarce and expensive I think um as you get to that you have more humans demanding meat and developing nations or you know countries on the, the up and up where you look at you know the middle class or the wealthy in china and you start talking 100 million and there's four times the amount of australians with more money than everyone in australia and they're demanding a you know, good quality australian beef we just won't be able to afford it so so playing with that um and then quality um quality will be the other part of it so if you can't create a nice fibrous steak out of plant-based or cell culture, then you can't replicate that at the moment. So you can make very good mince products and you can make other sort of mixtures that give you the same nutrition or the same flavour, but the texture is, is probably something that's still um, to be, you know, achieved at the same level that we don't sacrifice because um, humans are, you know, we're quite selfish beings. We don't like um, doing things that, we have to sacrifice um, our own quality yeah. or pay more for. It. And I think you know, twenty twenty has probably made us think a little bit differently about the way we view the world. Whether it's the bushfires at the start of the year or you know, the last you know, months uh, of what we've experienced, and going actually maybe I will um, sacrifice a little bit of my own you know, money or or taste or you know, do something good. Even convenience, you know, plastic shopping bags. You know, we all said, "Oh, I don't want to use plastic shopping bags," but as soon as it became forced on us, it was very different to when. It was a convenience question, because the, the you know reusable bags have existed for so long. But if it wasn't convenient for us, we weren't we weren't adopting it. So, I think you you will find that there will be mass meat applications for things like plant based. As the price of cell based or cultured meat comes down, then that will get used in as an ingredient in in places. And then if they can mm-hmm. crack the technology, you'll just see it existing both. And the the animal meat will be a um, a higher end premium, more quality market, um, and. What I hope is that you know the the meat industry doesn't grow to a point that it starts putting more strain on the planet because you're at a tipping point now that you have to make some changes and and make sure you're doing good to the planet where you're taking away from it where you're demanding resources and um, again you know Australian cattle is you know normally you know, quite well grown and grass fed but if you go to the Amazon and you, you're starting to because somebody's going to make some money cut down chunks of the Amazon to grow cattle feed um, or to to graze cattle then that's just not going to cut it um and we've got to change yeah. that way and find a way to supplement the demand through a way that is more sustainable otherwise we'll uh, we'll be talking about you know meat in in dramatic ways around um things that we talk about in other environmental crises so it's really yeah. a um a point now that we we just have to do things differently whether that be um, renewable energies uh changing what we eat or the way we make the food that we eat um through to you know, all things that could have small changes like single-use plastics.
0: It's interesting. I, It's frustrating, but you can see, I think you're right, um, why we're in this predicament where humans, like, uh, I mean, may be pretty selfish when it comes to this stuff. Like, it's frustrating that we have so many solutions to these problems, but Ooh. we're just not doing them because it's not as convenient or... It costs a tiny bit more, but it's still actually affordable. Um, But I think you're right. Like you just got to recognize that for it is what it is and how do we make it more convenient and make it taste better and make it uh, be cheaper. And I think when I've chatted to friends about alternative meats, that's one of the fascinating things is that it's not a static product. Like you, you know, they taste better now than they did a year ago. And you can't say that about, like animal meats, like it tastes the same now as it did 10,000 years ago. And I think it's it seems like there's really three axes of competition. There's taste, price, and then nutritional value. And I mean, if people have been really honest, it's really taste and price that matter more. I don't think anybody eating a hamburger is really uh, diving deep into the nutritional value of a hamburger. Um, but it's the fascinating thing is that it's something that is an advantage for plant based products, where over time the way they're made could be iterated on to actually get it more healthy. How have you thought about those three factors as as V two has grown as a company?
1: Yeah, so it's um there's there's actually a, a, a fourth one or or what we call the one which is convenience. So mm-hmm. uh, that might be can I walk into a Hungry Jacks and buy a Rebel Whopper, which is um, made by V two. Or can I go down to Coles or Woolworths and pick up some, you know, plant-based meat off the shelf? And then secondly to that, if I put it in the pan at home and cook it, do I have to learn a whole new thing of how to cook? Because I haven't got time. I am you know, I've got screaming Mm. kids. I've got this happening. You know, cooking's hard when we first learn it. So making sure it's easy for people to use and performs in the same way. So, um, yeah, I mean, taste taste and price. If you're not within the ballpark on both of them, then forget about it. You You just won't. You might sell it once as a curiosity factor, or people being hopeful. If it tastes horrible, then they're going to walk away and not come back for a year or two years because I oh, yeah, I tried that stuff once, yeah, it was no good. Yeah. Um, on the nutritional one, it's 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 interesting because you do raise the fact that if I'm going to go and get a fast food burger made from plant meat, I'm probably not you know watching the nutritionals because I'm also getting you know fries with it and a soft drink. Um, but there is a lot of people switching away from red meat um because of health reasons but you will also see that the mm. trend to that is older older in australia at least older australians so um you know getting to older age bodies can't digest as much and probably the you know the issue we have in the diet is not necessarily that we um the red meat is bad for you it's that we're not eating enough vegetables we get so much energy because our caveman style of thinking is like oh, crave that meat because it's so rare but we have it so often now that we're not eating all the other dietary fiber and vegetables and and nutrients that you need from that. So our advantage is that we, we can add things into the product. It's, um, it's very hard to take a cow and add more vitamins or nutrients, whereas, um, we can do that. And what we don't want to do as a business is just to add it in for the sake of it. Um, so Mm -hmm. coming from my traditional marketing background, I said, well, if we haven't got iron, let's just add it in. And Nick our our founder and CEO said, well, actually if we just dump it in the product it won't be bioavailable and our bodies won't actually be able to absorb it so it'll just go straight through you and and end up out the other side so why would we do that as a business because all we're doing is faking it you know we can make the claim but it's not actually useful for the human body so the first thing we do is go back to our um you know founding genesis which was with csiro and saying you guys know nutrition better than probably anyone else in australia and, and possibly even the world you know food how can we make nutrients vitamins minerals bioavailable in this this consumption way and how can we make our product match the nutrition of beef and then better it so that you know mm-hmm. people aren't missing out on the things that they're used to because that is one of the concerns if you switch to a plant-based diet and you completely remove red meat then you you might be deficient and everybody is different so you can't have one sweeping rule and you have to sort of adjust in it um but you know i, I know someone who after watching game Changers, came back and said I'm becoming a vegan, I'm cutting out all meat and I'm quitting alcohol and smoking at the same time. And then two weeks later, when that's I saw him, I said, How's that going for you? He said, Oh, I was so sick, I'm never doing that again. I said, Well, do you oh, ever wow. think maybe your body couldn't cope with the shock of cutting out every every vice yeah, you had, you lot. cut out in one go? Like we have to adjust and see how our bodies respond to these things. So we will um continue to try and improve on taste and nutrition. Um at the start, we were reiterating our products every week. So our, our launch product with Hungry Jacks I think was version like 46 or thereabouts or that's I think when we decided it was like 53 when we launched. So the speed at which we do it is uh, incredible and I've, I've worked in food for a long time and worked with, you know, some big international companies that the V2 time of things is just, you know, when you talk about long, medium and short term, it's, you know, long term is like six months which, you know, a big company that's five to ten years. Um, yeah. Short term is basically do it today. And we can make these things on the fly because we are quick and nimble and because we're passionate and care about making a better product. So all those things that have come together into the fact that we're never happy. And if we get to 80% happy, then something's wrong. So go to the next stage. So before we've even finished one project, we're going, okay, well, now it sizzles better, but now we want the text to be better. What's that project? And so, um, you know, any given time, there might be 10 to 15 projects happening within CSIRO or with other research partners. We're bringing in the best product developers we've ever worked with from the people that have been in the food industry um, and just breaking rules and saying, well, I don't accept that you can't do that. How do you make it better? Um, mm-hmm. And you've, you've seen that in other food industries over over the time. Um, you know, Almond milk or soy milk, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you probably would never have drunk it, whereas now I'd be happy to have any of those milks in a coffee because I know the quality is there. So, you can get yeah. to these things if you start thinking differently and, and and there's enough interest to do it as well, because if there's no incentive in terms of people wanting to buy it or you know a passion or a motive, then you know you do it and you put it out to market, and people just go "That's nice, but I have no demand for it so we have this this moment in time now that I think if we tried to launch this company two or three years ago, we we're probably too early. If we launched it mm-hmm. you know, two or three years from now, we'd be too late. Um, so we have to go fast to deliver what people are asking for and actually stay ahead of the curve and, and make an impact on a global scale.
0: And in delivering what people are asking for, I think that's a really interesting point of like your incentives really matter and that you could keep for instance like health, like you could keep trying to find really you know innovative ways to make it more healthy while maintaining a baseline of taste. But of the four factors you mentioned, I'm not sure that would be the one that matters the most. It feels like price might actually matter the most like how do you think about those four factors and like what you you how you would rank them and what you're really going to try to solve for the most over time
1: yeah it's it's the uh the age old challenge of of marketing of, of which which lever do you pull to make your product um more accessible or um mm-hmm. have more demand for it. and um i would say at the moment yeah price is probably the one um, especially in in you know uh, today's environment where we are going through a challenging economic environment and people become more conscious. And, um, you know, I, st- I started my career in chocolate. And one of the weird things was that during a recession, chocolate actually benefits because people are doing small pledges. So they're moving away from the, mm-hmm. the high expense, but having having a nice block of chocolate at home makes them feel okay. So um, you will see people start to um, make more price conscious decisions. And for us, you know, we – we have to go through some pretty clever processes to get to our product. And it's uh, we're not operating the same scale as mass food industries at the moment. So our economy, uh, economies of scale are, are not quite there yet. So our, our cost to produce is higher. So we've said, look, you know, let's sell it at the cheapest price we possibly can so that we don't you know go under. But understand mm. that, you know, as we get to scale, you know, that might actually help us to, to not be, you know, such a lean business. So that's the the first thing is that, in order for this to have mass acceptance you need to be at the same price or less so you take that price barrier out um the market before we entered was very much around um price premiums um for people that had a real reason so if you're um you know a very strong believer in, in not eating animal meat and eating plant-based and you have the money to back that up and you you know got a well-paying job and you're um know. Yeah, have the means and you know paying an extra three or four dollars doesn't you know doesn't hurt you on that some of the products that were in there was like fifty dollars a kilo um, which right. is you know top end steak when you've got mints on the shelf that's selling for seven eight dollars a kilo every day if you're trying to feed a family or you're you know trying to entertain and you just haven't got that disposable income then you're not going to actually switch across so that's that's probably the biggest thing um, and also knowing that for us that you know we can probably hold our price a little bit more steady than um animal meat where there are certain um macro uh, environmental factors that will have a big impact on that so whether that's a um environmental impact um you know bushfires floods whatever it is that makes it harder to supply or even just the natural flow of um drought to to rain when um uh, animal prices will follow what the farmers can get for their money and so if if there's lots of rains then they'll hold on fatten up the herd and then sell it off later on so That changes and then you have things like uh one-off events so whether that be um you know bird flu for chickens um or african swine fever that Mm -hmm. wipes out a huge amount of pork then all of a sudden the world goes there's no less pork and there's no more pork and the same amount of demand and the prices skyrocket so those sorts of things we're sort of a little bit more protected against because we have um Mm -hmm. we don't have the disease that you know the animals that animals would and then also you know the sheer demand will will just send the price up so whether that's a five year 10 year or 20 year thing that should go up as we start to grow more grains to, to feed into this um, product. And also as the uh, industry that creates proteins from plants uh, gets more established around the world, the efficiencies will come down and you'll, you'll find bigger manufacturers that are providing our ingredients. So we're hoping that we can actually lower the price over time, but um, we do know probably animal meat will go up. Um, and that's, that's when you become available. That's when you take that first yeah. barrier away.
0: That's interesting, I hadn't thought about the opposite that it's like it's not just can we make our product cheaper it's recognizing that animal meat is actually probably going to get more expensive and so as long as we can hold the line where we are which to your point as you increase in scale you probably can own you probably will get more opportunity to lower the price if if um if anything so that's that's pretty interesting it brings up up something i read around um corona and one of the things that early when corona popped up is you saw in a lot of uh food production facilities in the u.s they had breakouts and those breakouts spread really fast and i noticed a lot of people in like um the alternative meat or like what's the, what's the right term alternative meat non-animal meat
1: yeah I and mean, look at it, there's uh there's all sorts of different things i mean uh it's mm. yeah alternative proteins or alternative meats because it, you, you can get protein from other yeah. stuff but for us it's um it's it's plant based meat because you know we use the term plant-based meat because meat. Yep. it it looks cooks tastes the same use it in the same sort of way and you know, names have evolved over time. Um, there's lots of contention yep. over it, but honestly, you know I haven't come across anyone that's confused by it. If anything, they're they're mm. angry about the name meat. Um, so yeah, alternative meat or, or plant based meat works for us. Plant based um, meat as long as people yep. try the product, <laughs> we're not concerned.
0: That seems like actually a strength of the marketing of of companies like V2 is that they haven't tried to you haven't tried to position yourselves as a vegan burger. You've tried to position yourself as meat and like and that's like actually uh physically even position yourself as meat in a supermarket. Like can you talk a little bit around why that positioning is important and why that's probably helped you grow as a company?
1: Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's lots of different forces at play here. Um, the first one is, is that uh, vegans are already looking for plant-based products. They're already looking for non, non-dairy, non, non-animal-based products. So they'll find your product um, no matter where it is. And there's different reasons that people become vegans and different levels of, you know, how, how staunch they might be. But in Australia at the moment, you're looking at about 2% of the population as you know pretty strict vegan and don't break it there's another two percent that are vegetarian still happy to have dairy products um and then there's another seven eight percent thereabouts depending on the stats you look at that associate as vegan or vegetarian but they might sneak a kebab after a late night out or they might you know be <laughs> dying for a burger and, and have it or chicken nuggets so whatever it is that they, they they try and adopt a mostly plant-based or sort of vegetarian product all they're switching across there's another 30 to 40 percent of people that want to reduce their meat for health or sustainability reasons, but they're not passionate enough to be going, I'm absolutely going to go out of my way to to go and do this and, and, you know, learn a new way to cook and find all these new things. But if you put something in front of them, they'll go, yeah, cool. I'll take that because I will, or it might be as much as cutting down one meat meal a week. Um, so there's different levels there. So if we, if we were just say, look, we are a vegan brand and we're a vegan product, we're speaking to two to 4% because, the traditional way of looking at this and you know if you put vegan on a menu people go oh that's not for me because I'm not a vegan so why would I order that it might be a delicious new dish it might be an awesome um you know uh ravioli and a pomodoro sauce that you know is absolutely amazing but we didn't discover it because I'm not a vegan so therefore I don't order vegan food and if you go back even longer vegan food didn't taste good it was you know Mm. poor substitutes before people said actually why can't you create awesome dishes out of non-animal products so that's the, the first thing is that the market size is not there. And if we want to make a difference on a global scale, speaking to 2 to 4% of people is not really going to help um, make people think differently. So uh, that's a, you know, it's a conscious decision. Um, we're happy to have anyone from a vegan through to a heavy carnivore try our products. And we don't think it's about creating a, a battlefield and saying, well, you're a bad person if you're not a vegan or, you know, if you are a vegan, then... You know what's what's your problem with this so there's there's we understand there's lots of different people and lots of different reasons they make the choice they do and as long as we're available to all of them and we're not misleading anyone or making people think you know that they're buying a uh, animal meat product and you know our packaging is white and green and says made with plants on and i think you know i'm yet to hear anyone say i bought your product by mistake because at the moment you know there's a quite a difference and you know i i'd like to think that consumers have a fairly good idea of what they're doing. I mean, if they can choose between a double brie, double cream brie and a camembert on the cheese shelf and all the other cheeses out there or between, you know, 2% milk, full cream, light milk, then they can probably tell the difference between mints and plant-based mints when the packaging is quite different and it's clearly called out. Like um, anyone that has made the mistake, and it's a very, very, very small percentage, probably has something else going on and they've probably realized that and, you know, ultimately that's not something a big concern but it's the first yeah. thing to you know come up from the enemy side of things and go well you guys are trying to mislead and steal market share it's like well there's a demand for this sort of product. we just want to be you know transparent and, and make something available to to people that is good yeah. um that they can buy if they choose to it's a, it's an option we're not yeah. trying to force a lifestyle on anyone um and that's probably the position we've taken um around it it's just you know, it's part of the future it will come at some point yeah. um so let's Let's make it as easy as possible for people.
0: Is there, And there might not be any. Is there any like cultural, like Australian psyche differences that mean like, you know, I feel like I grew up with Sam Kekovich talking about lamb nonstop as a kid and like he kind of made that famous and like uh, to the point earlier, I'm positive five or ten years ago if I'd put a vegan burger on a barbecue, my mates would definitely look at me a bit weird. Do you think that has changed or that's still something you battle against more so than you would in other countries? How do you think about that?
1: Yeah, it's, again, it's, um, you know, if you turn up to that barbecue with some plant-based meat and some craft beer, you know, you probably ask why you're drinking perfume versus, you know, a good old <laughs> Tui's New or um, you know, Carlton Cold or all these brands that we sort of don't even see anymore. Whereas I had this conversation today, like, you know, when I go to a pub now, I, I order a different beer every single time. I don't know if it's going to be you know, good or not, I might get something that's not good, but I've I've moved away. So I think what we've seen in Australia is there's definitely still that like red-blooded, you know, true blue Ocker Aussie that, you know, doesn't want to change. And what you're seeing though I think is that's moving through with the generations and every generation has mm-hmm. its issues with, you know, whether it's millennials or, you know, boomers or silent generation. They're all saying things about the next generation that came through and they don't know what we went through or, you know, they're doing all this fan stuff and, you know, the way I dress is how I left high school, and I look at kids now. And I'm like, what you know? What are you doing? But these are the generations that are demanding new experiences, um, more individuality. They're coming in a world where their voice can be heard through things like social media, and they've got access to mm-hmm. find their niches so much faster than um, you know, 20, 30 years ago when your sources of information were school textbooks, your close friends, family, and a few different you know mainstream media so it was very controlled whereas now if you want to find something from you know south america and import it you can get someone over there to buy it send it across so because we do have in the younger generations now these people that are looking for new things they can do that if you're talking to your you know mainstream older australian then yeah you're probably going to cop that what are you doing you know um i had a very interesting conversation with my dad really early on who said you know, look, Andrew, you've, you know, you've had some pretty, pretty big, you know, jobs, and you know, you've worked with some of the best companies in the world, and are you sure this plant-based meat thing with you know three other people is is really the best thing for your career? And I said, look, do me a favor, don't lecture me until you go and try and try the product. And it was the first week before we launched Hungry Jack, so it was a trial week. He got okay, that's a mm. fair criticism. I'll <laughs> um, I'll go and give it a try. Where can I buy it? I said, look, there is actually one just near your work, which is one of our trial stores. Go down, buy it, give me a call afterwards. So he called me and said, oh, Andrew, um, I just find the, the, the point of sale behind this the guy, that I think you could increase the branding there. I think you could do this. I'm like, "So, sorry, what? He's like, oh, no, it's fantastic. I think you're a winner here, but you're going to have to communicate this really well. So all of a sudden he saw yeah. that was on there. So wow. I think that's one of the things is if you can communicate the mission of why you're doing it and then show that this is actually something that you could actually eat and you could integrate it into your spaghetti bolognese or your meatloaf or, you know, have a burger and it's not offensive and you're not actually asking anyone to do anything they don't want to do, then it changes the conversation Mm -hmm. and it's not about, um, you know, killing the livelihood of the meat industry or forcing everyone to change what they, you know, they want to do. It's like saying, look, we're providing something that's actually pretty good. It will happen in the future. Um, And and again, there's probably all these industries that come up, whether it be, you know, a fandangle, you know, smartphone versus an old school Nokia that, you know, why do you want to do anything to make a phone call? That, you know, digital cameras yeah. versus Kodak. Like, you know, you're going to want to print out photos and have them in a photo album. Like, you know, what are you going to sit around and talk about? Like, we look back now and go, oh, like if only we knew <laughs> how fast change could happen back then. So yeah. there will be definitely people that will, you know, die with a stake in their mouth and be saying, you know, you guys will never make it to anything. And there's others saying, well, look, I wish there was five other things I could also eat that gave me the same things mm. that was a, a way variant. So that's just the, uh, the way the world is changing and the Australian psyche is definitely changing but i think that's a generational thing um as well as a macro environment thing where we're seeing more things that's happening around the world and going actually what can we do what can we do to make a difference um yeah and we used not to think that one person could make a difference but now we're actually saying that yeah well if i do something different then maybe i'll do that and you know even in my time working i've seen things from you know environmental choices in products through to green energy um you know paying more for renewable energy carbon offsetting all that kind of stuff that people are now saying say you know what yeah, I will do it. I'll actually, you know, reach into my own pocket and I'll signal that I want to make a difference, and I'm happy to to, to do something about that. So it, it will yeah. only get bigger, um, but you'll still have you still have people that don't believe it. So that's fine. They can they can yeah. hold that opinion. We'll do our best to have a conversation with them, not tell them what they can or can't do, but put the facts on the table. If they choose to walk away from us, then
0: that's okay. I think I've I've said to multiple friends. I think it'll actually be the biggest shift of our lifetime that we will stop eating meat directly from animals, that it'll be either plant-based or lab-grown. But I think there, it just seems so inevitable. If you look at like the fact that if nothing else, it's going to cost less over time and that's going to make the difference to everybody. But then if on top of that, if the fact that you can make it uh, probably nutritionally better while tasting better and then, Again, the environmental impact is immense. And so um, there's just so many immense reasons why why I think it'll become dominant. One of the things I'm I'm really curious about with meat is how much do brands matter? Like I think we've seen in a lot of other categories of food that like actually the brand matters a lot. Like when I think about milk or I think about like Um, a bunch of different things that you buy. Like if you look at like A2 Milk, for example, in Australia, like that brand has meant a lot and has got a lot of success, but it's like a pretty commoditized product really underneath it. Um, How do you think about that as it relates to V2 Foods? It's a really interesting one. It's one we actually
1: discuss within the business, right? Because we could go and sell a heap of uh, commodity-based plant meat tomorrow we've got a, a mass of people that are saying like, I want it to be under my brand. I want to do this. So the, the reason for having a strong brand and you use the milk example, um, and even probably like if you, you know, if you drink soy milk or almond milk, not all products are equal. So mm-hmm. if you're talking about, um, brands the the number one thing brands have done is, is trust. So if you go back to the, you know, the taste quality price, um, convenience, the one thing we didn't mention there is um, is trust. You, you can't sell a product if people don't believe that what you're doing is right. Thankfully, in Australia, we don't really have trust issues with brands because we've been fairly well-regulated, but still a brand that has trust and that comes over time is important. So that's that's the first thing is going, this is a reputable company that I believe in what they've done. And as I said, you know, V2 is is about doing the right thing and, you know, not not faking it for profits or, you know, being a big corporation that's, you know, trying to just make money at the expense of the consumer, but we have to establish something that people go you know what i've tried v2 it's a good product and i believe in what they're trying to achieve and i you know i look at the team that sits on my social media and we've got you know consumers that are jumping on there and attacking them and saying yeah but you're just another corporation and you don't believe in this and you're trying to make money out of vegans and i look at the team and and the the look on their faces when they're like but i'm a good person i'm trying to do my part and play you know play a role in this environmental crisis and do something about this and i'm like look guys it's not you they're so trained to, to hating corporations and that kind of stuff. So if we can establish the V2 brand, as something that stands for trust, Australian quality, um, and, and good food. It's, it's great. And then from the, the side of the commodity versus um, brands existing within something like milk or bread or even, you know, supermarket products, it's a signpost. So at the moment, if you go out and so oh, I've heard all this stuff about plant-based meat, I've, I've got to give it a go. And you go down and you buy a product and it tastes horrible, You're like, oh, I tried plant-based meat. It's horrible. If someone says, actually, you've got to try the V2 stuff or I had Beyond in the US or I've Mm -hmm. had Impossible, those sorts of brands that people go, that's actually good, it allows people to find the products that are doing, you know, a good job of of whatever reason, whether it's sustainability Mm -hmm. or or taste. So it means that all of a sudden people are saying, well, if you're going to have plant-based meat, make sure it's one of the good brands that actually tastes good and is, you know. Is doing the right things because you will find you know um players that are in there that you know either for whatever reason don't taste as good or they're you know coming out from a a profiteering angle or that kind of thing so for us we want people to associate v2 with plant-based meat and um you know people ask about you know but what about your competitors i'm like honestly if anyone's doing a good job in the space then they're part of the movement they're not really competitive because there's room for you know almost everyone to to win in this game and to have a slice of the pie which will be a huge future in future industry the population is growing there's more mouse to feed on the planet that will come from all sorts of food plant-based meat is one sliver of our diet so um you know as long as people are doing the right thing and the worst thing that we can have is a bunch of horrible tasting products out there that people are saying plant-based meat tastes hor- takes horrible because it'll push it back 2 years 4 years 5 years and we we can't wait to change to change that sort of um conversation so what we're hoping is that you know People try V2 at Hungry Jacks. They try it in their Marley mm-hmm. Spoon kit. Um, they see it on the shelf in Coles or and go, you know what, that was actually pretty all right. I'm going to give it a go. When someone talks about this and has the the water cooler conversation or the family gathering and says, yeah, have you guys tried it? And someone says, oh, well, you should try V2. That's that's actually okay. Liquid. It's all yeah. you know, surprisingly good. I expected it to taste horrible. I went out on a limb. I tried it and, wow, that's actually that's better than I thought. Like, And then they start asking questions, how, why, what. Um, and that's the kind of conversations yep. we want people to have. And some people will be on on day one. Some people will take a year. Other people will take ten years before they finally, you know, put down their knife and fork and say, "Okay, I'll um, I buy it."
0: The the restaurants versus um supermarket stuff is pretty interesting. Like one of the things I read during COVID was where restaurants, and this was more like high end restaurants, were forced into doing delivery only. The chefs were like, "And this is." this is bad for us because it's going to really hurt our brand. Like if we're a like Attica, I think in, in Victoria was the example. And the chef was like the way we cook our food, present it, plate it up, serve it is a whole experience in and of itself. And we're present, we're doing it in the right environment. Like if I just throw that in some Tupperware and send it to your house and you're eating it, you're like, this is average. Like it's cold, it's blah, 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 blah. But it's like, no actually that's just not the way you're meant to consume it. How do you think about that with uh V2 because you are both you like you're in uh grocery stores and you are served in Hungry Jack's where you can control the environment more and probably other restaurants as well. Like was it important for you to not start in supermarkets and to start somewhere where you could ensure the quality of the cooking? Uh like how how did you think about that?
1: So if you look at food trends and how they enter the market, it's uh, normally a really long-term, bit-by-bit approach. So the one thing I can't change, um, and I've tried many times, is, is time. I can't pause mm-hmm. or speed up you know, our, our adoption um, of, of how, we, how we do time. So generally what would happen if you take, um, let's take Mexican, Mexican food in Australia, it starts as a couple of cool little pop-ups, some you know, experimental stuff, some food trucks doing say a cantina-style Mexican then it goes to a couple of like, you know, small, um, you know, three or four restaurants in an area. Then it goes into the chains like Mad Mex, Guzman and Gomez, Zambrero. Um, and that's the QSR approach. Or you get places like, um, you know, Pizza Hut, KFC, McDonald's doing a Mex style burger. That's a burger with corn chips on it. Um, and so that's the QSR adoption. Uh, so quick service restaurants or fast food. And then it goes into grocery. And that's the, the everyday person going, yeah, I've been eating this for like five, 10 years now. I'm going to try and make it at home because we're creatures of habit. We eat the same thing over and over. So if it's a basic taco kit, yeah, sure. That was part of the the repertoire. But if you're going to do a fancy Mexican, you you needed to sort of um, be able to buy the ingredients at the supermarket, understand how you're going to cook it. And so it's this really long um, journey of discovery from the first time that, you know, the cool cool cats know about it. And they're all off there having these, you know, margaritas and, and, you know, all these Mexican dishes we've never heard of till it hits the Australian supermarket scene. So, that's normally what happens so ideally we would have um followed that path if we had 10 to 15 years to to play around the edges but we know that we haven't got that speed you know or they haven't got the the luxury to wait so one of the things that we would have done differently is you know if we hadn't had COVID was we're about to roll out into food service when when COVID shut down everything and the food industry's done it really tough this year um you know on the most part obviously some people have done better than others but Having a product like ours, which you are unfamiliar or uncertain about, having someone cook it for you and prepare it and, and plate it up on a, on a dish in a restaurant or put it in a burger wrapper and hand it through the drive-through window at Hungry Jack's takes the risk out of it because I'm not a great cook. I'm not sure how to prepare this. It's different. It's weird. Okay. It looks good in the ad. You guys know how to cook burgers. You get it across to me. So that first trial going, actually it was pretty good there. Takes all the other risk because if we cook it at home, like did I cook it wrong? Maybe like you know what? How am I supposed to prepare this? So, what we find is that the things that are easy to trial is we're going to get the first trial. So, I mean, ultimately we would have you know preferred to have been in you know a thousand restaurants across the country before we went to supermarkets, but um, we you know we went to Marley Spoon in, in COVID when you know, delivery was going through the roof, understandably. And then we had an opportunity to get in with, uh, you know, Drake Supermarkets in South Australia and Queensland. We were on board from day one and you know, approached us and said, let's, let's do something with this. So we went in there mm-hmm. to sort of trial and test and learn a few things and just get that first feedback. And then uh, both Woolworths and Coles in the last two months. And so we understand there's lots of people who will look it on the shelf and, you know, scratch their head and walk away from it. And maybe they'll try, trial it in a um, fast food or in a cafe or restaurant near them and then come back after the third or fourth time to go, you know what? I can cook that at home. Like, you know, I had a bolognese with V2 and it was all right. I'll I'll give it a go. I'll give it a nudge myself. Yeah. Or, you know, I have had a I've had a burger with it. How hard could it be to cook a burger? It looks like a burger on the shelf. I'll whack it on the barbecue or in the in the fry pan and see how I go. Yeah. Um and, you know, we've been pretty amazed at the feedback because they, you know, the, the first thing that people ask me is how do you cook it? I'm like, or oh, just the same as you would any other meat. They're like, well, okay, but so what have I got to do? I'm like all right, so turn your pan on, whack some oil in it, heat it, flip yeah. it over, cook it the other side, and then put it in a bun and eat it. They're like, oh, so just like meat. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's yeah. what I told you. And then after they eat it, like, wow, that think- was awesome. And they come back and go, hey, it was so easy. Like it was just like meat. I was like, I told you that, but you didn't yeah. believe me because it's different. So that's the barrier yeah. we're getting, getting through with that. Um, yeah, treat it the same as you would meat.
0: For anyone listening, uh, I could be the worst chef alive, and I uh, actually don't cook a lot um but last year i was so fascinated by uh it was <clears throat> beyond meat i think that was getting a lot of press and i read about last year and you could buy it here in singapore uh, from the supermarket and so i actually bought a barbecue so that i could cook it because i didn't have any way to cook and so i bought a barbecue and i bought the the meat and cooked some uh burgers for myself and a friend and then was blown away by the taste and again i'm the worst chef alive um and and started hosting like friends over in groups where i would cook half and half and make people guess like which was which because it was honestly so close in taste and so yeah if anybody is listening is debating whether they can make it work uh if i can anybody can so um, yeah, rest assured and, and honestly
1: like you can say that, I can say that, my marketing can say that, but until somebody actually takes that first bite, that's the moment of belief where they're like, oh, this isn't yeah. a big conspiracy. we weren't all lying to me and it's, um, but hopefully most people don't have to have to buy new cooking equipment. Um, but yeah, look, I, you know, I, I had the same thing. My, my mates were like, what? Like, how does that help us? Like, you know, go and work for a brand, like a beer brand or something, so we can get free beer from you. Yeah. Or we don't want you know, plant-based meat. Like, and I've got a um, you know, South African mate, who just was like, I ate meat, that's what I do. Like, you know, I'm South African born <laughs> yeah. and bred. Like, and so we actually fed him up some beef a few weeks earlier at a friend's, a friend's party. This is before we launched the product. And um, my mate called me and said, can I, can I get some V2? I said, it doesn't exist. Like I'd have to get it handmade, send it down with a frozen courier and it's gonna cost me $1,000. So no, you can't have it. He's like, he called yeah. me back. And he's like, hey, I, um, I've got a new idea. I'm gonna buy a couple of different brands of beef burgers. So they're different colors and we'll serve it up to him and, and see what he thinks. And so sure enough, mm. the guy saw the different colors and went, oh, I'm being tricked here. And he's, you know, he was really skeptical. He said, no, man, that was just, you know, normal beef burgers. Oh, okay, well, you know, it just taste, tasted different. So I thought, oh, you, you your fake, mate. You know? A couple of weeks later, yeah. uh, we had a, a friend's kid's birthday party and uh, we served him up some uh, beautiful koftas, some sausage rolls, all these like, you know, canapes. And I couldn't go to him because I knew I was going to lose it before I even got to him. So I gave it to a friend and said, "Hey, just take this over to him." He's chowing down on his third lamb style cofter. He's like, "These are awesome. Where'd you get them from?" I said, "Oh, actually, uh, it was it's Andrew's uh, plant based meat." He's like, "What?" Yeah. And he looked up at me, and I was just I was in hysterics, looking across him. He's like, "This can't be real." And I was like, "Well, you know, it's real food, right? It's in your hand. You're eating it." And he he said, "Everything I know about life has just changed." (laughs) what what does this make me what who am i as a person he's like
0: (laughs) i'm a meat eater it's like yeah
1: but i like this and so he's kind of you know he's he's on the softly softly journey like you know he's not he's not my you know biggest biggest advocate still but he's the biggest truth point when when people are asking yeah he jumps in he's like you should hear what he did to me he tricked me and it was it was great so i think
0: yeah
1: you've got to discover it for yourself and and that's the only way you will find out these things and as I said, not all brands are equal. So there are definitely some out there that I've eaten and gone, oh, like I feel a bit sorry for anyone that tries yeah. that. Um, but you know, the brands that are doing it well, you know, you have that, and you're like, yeah, I, I would eat this if I if I paid you know, for this in a in a restaurant or I took it home to cook for the fam, family or friends. Then yeah, I'm happy. I'm a satisfied customer. So that I think is the yeah. is the key thing. And the more people that have experiences like you that have discovered it one way or another, whether it's word of mouth or reading an article or or watching David Attenborough and saying, you know, we should be, you know, using renewable energy, eating less meat or changing our diets and trying something, that will start the wave and, and this movement of people going, well, this is a viable option and I'm going to integrate it into one meal a week or I'm going to switch. And, you know, everyone will have their own different uh, adoption curve. But ultimately, until you try it once, you, you're not going to know. So um, yeah. you can list everyone else, but you'll still be skeptical. And I, I say that to my team. I'm like, guys, treat everyone as skeptical and if you tell them, if you try to force something down their throat, they're going to tell you, no, thanks. I know better. So yeah. treat them as skeptical and address the fact that they have a uncertainty or a preconceived idea and, and allow them to discover for themselves. Cause that's the most powerful thing is when we actually work out ourselves and so we discover something, we then start inviting our friends around and tricking them or telling them and go, Hey, like you'll never guess what you just ate. Or can you guys tell the difference? Yeah. So that's uh then it becomes fun. Um, it yeah. becomes a, a talking point and, uh, you kind of you've picked up on something a little bit before everyone else, and you you know you're a little bit more clever. And we, we like doing that. If you're one of those people that likes to uh you know show your discoveries off, so um, yep. yeah, that, that happens in every every industry or every you know, new music artist when someone heard this band before everyone else So they went to that concert, you know, when they were playing in a small back room somewhere. So yeah. that that kind of thing happens all the time. So every- I think that's where we are, and our, our goal now is to take it to the mainstream because we you know the niche try to we're starting to get a bit more coverage, you know, across the industry and now for it's just like anyone with a mouth, they should give it a go. If, if it's not for them then that's fine, but yeah, you might be surprised.
0: I've definitely, a lot of friends have been surprised and I have one friend in particular, who's like your South African friend who is, it's interesting. He would be horrified to know the meat he was eating wasn't actually animal meat, but I bet I could get it past him and he would then yeah. once he's had it, he would be like, "Oh wow, like maybe you're right, so uh Robbie Hunter, if you're listening, you are on notice, I'm going to get you and uh <laughs> and trick you yeah. um but it, it's pretty fascinating, even myself, I have ordered burgers from places here i I live in Singapore that have um that use impossible meat, and there's one place in particular that does an amazing job, and it's so amazing. The first time I got a burger from them, I actually thought they got it wrong. I was like, oh, no, they have put in a normal patty like this. I, I'm a big burger guy, so I, I like to think I know the taste. But it was that close that I genuinely thought, oh, no, they've got it wrong. They haven't put the impossible patty in this. They've put a normal patty in. So um, it's, it's fascinating to see how close it is as, as a product to what we've traditionally known.
1: Well, that's, uh, I've, I've had that experience, but that's exactly why I ended up at um, V2 because I was actually just helping out. So uh, I'd worked with uh, Nick Hazel, you know, founder, uh, in a previous job, and I was between jobs. I've been living in Asia, had traveled for a bit, and I was um, looking to, to go back overseas. So you know, moving back to um, you know, Asia, US, or, or Europe and, and really trying to choose the right right role and I said, I'd help out with some marketing. Um, so I started to, you know, really early days, look at it. And I said, look, I haven't actually tried the product yet. I, you know, I need to know what it is I'm trying to, to you know, sell because I have to believe in it. And I got mm. told I was going to try a, a beef whopper and a V2 whopper. And I served it up and everyone started talking and giving feedback. And I thought it was because they tried it because they were there before me. And I said, guys, look, then can you just hold your feedback until I've tried the product first so I can actually understand what you're talking about? They said, what are you talking about? That, that is your product. And I was like, this is made from plants like hold on whoa like all right guys if, yeah can i can i now try a beef whopper because i think i've forgotten what beef tastes like i'm a bit confused here yeah. and you know I, I then went back and you know when i when i had them side by side i was like okay yeah that's clearly beef and that's clearly v2 but i was amazed at the taste and then since then you know we've had the same experience and i've tried you know obviously beyond an impossible and, and had similar things where i'm like this stuff is you know it's pretty out there but i think Where we are with v2 now is is the start it will get better to the point that you know ultimately we will be you know a better taste because we can tweak certain things so yeah um, i'm happy i'm happy with our current product but we've got a long way to go um for more of those sorts of experiences where you 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 can't tell the difference
0: so this has been fascinating learning about like v2 foods in this world it's a world that i've been interested in for about 12 months Uh, so interested as I said that it got me to cooking which is probably well overdue even though um, probably still my performance of cooking is is pretty horrible but I think what's fascinating is like there's a it's rare that you work at a company where the impact can be so profound and where the shift is so profound and I think You know, our show and this series has really been around unconventional approaches to business becoming conventional. And as that happens, the businesses uh, see a lot of success. And when I think about just the orders of magnitude of impact that you will have, whether it's environmental, taste, health, pretty much everything that is fundamental to life, it's fascinating to see, you know, an unconventional approach like plant-based meat for most people 10 years ago they would have thought hang on that's an oxymoron those two things don't belong together but i think v2 and companies like v2 has shown that no like absolutely they can exist and in fact you might end up enjoying it more than the original product and and as you do the impact on the world is is going to be extremely positive so i I think it's a fascinating space. I, congratulations on the success of V2 so far as a company, and uh, I look forward to watching you and and grow and have a couple of those rebel burgers in in Hungry Jack's myself.
1: Yeah, we'll have to send some up to uh, Singapore for you very soon. It is uh, a few places that's already available up there, so we'll uh, we'll hook you up after the show. Oh,
0: let me know. I'll hit them up this weekend in the in the um, name of research. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to Unconventional Business by HubSpot. If you liked what you listened to, please subscribe and I'll catch you on the next episode.